Welcome to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. My name is Rafael Escamilla. Hey there, my name is Camilo Mora. And today we're having our first full episode where we're going to be talking about how to serve 1.4 billion consumers. Camilo, what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about like the largest emerging market in the world, right? So uh, this is, of course, our first episode of the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. So, of course, uh, India is the most... We have to start most... big, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, just for, for our audience to, to have a better understanding of the size of this market, this is just like um, adding you know, the population of Europe and Latin America both together and serving them. So um, for today's uh, episode, we have invited a very special guest, uh, the, the uh, VP of supply chain in HUL India. And I am very intrigued, you know, in order to discuss with him uh, these distribution strategies, how they are making this possible, how they are serving these um, numerous amount of uh, shops in India. Yeah, that's indeed what I find extremely interesting about India, right? So if you think about the size of it, um, essentially 95% of the uh, grocery retail landscape within India is formed by this network of nano stores, right? Um, that's probably as large as it gets uh, throughout the world, right? So you talk about population-wise, uh, China is kind of similar size to to India, but in terms of the number of stores, right, and the the challenges in serving consumers through these stores is just unparalleled, right? And I think what also makes this super interesting is that you see some very um, interesting digitization trends within India um, with, for instance, the entrance of uh, Facebook, who has announced a huge investment and a, a partnership with Reliance. They're forming Geomart um, with the goal of you know, providing a variety of services through these Kirana stores, these nano stores in India. You see mobile money, Paytm, Google Pay. Uh, you see Amazon you know, delivering e-commerce packages through the nano stores. So I think this all makes for a very interesting um, environment where you also see, you know, still under development in terms of infrastructure, you see many challenges, informality, you know, and other challenges that, that make this really super interesting, a super interesting scope uh, to, to analyze this, um, yeah, this setting. Very well. So why don't we discuss all of these challenges with an expert, Rafa? Hi, and welcome back to the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. Today, we have uh, with us Willem Auyen. He's Executive Director of Supply Chain at Hindustan Unilever Limited in India. Welcome, Willem. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Great. Um, Willem, what are the different channels that you sell your products in, in India, and how does Unilever search each one of these channels? Yeah, so the the um, uh, the market in uh, in India uh, still for a large part is uh, what we call the general trade. So the um, um, uh, yeah, what you would uh, uh, know as the, the mom and pop stores or the Kirana stores, as um, uh, they're called, uh, they're called here. Uh, but we also see uh, new channels coming up uh, uh, quickly. 
So if you look at the, the modern trade, uh, more the, um, uh, the supermarkets or uh, even the larger type of hypermarkets are uh, up and coming here as well. Uh, you have obviously Ecom, uh, which is um, uh, growing uh, very quickly in, uh, in India. So uh, an important channel for, uh, for us as well. Cash and carry, um, which, uh, which you know um, uh, from other markets for sure as well, is an, uh, is an important channel. Yeah, and then it, it comes down to the, uh, the smaller channels, uh, the pharmacy channels and so on uh, after that. But by, by far uh, still and growing um, um, uh, uh, for the last years and, and also expected for the years to come, uh, still the, the lion's share of the trade is um, uh, being done through um, uh, the general trade. Thank you, Willem. So I would like to ask, actually, if you could provide some numbers for us to visualize what the size of the market is. Um, how many stores do you serve? How much volume do you sell in each one of these channels? Yes. So uh, if you look at um, um, HUL or, or Hindustan Unilever uh, in, uh, in India, uh, it's a business um, um, uh, just a little under, uh, under 6, billion, uh, 6 billion euros. Um, we have a reach in total of uh, more than 8 million stores uh, where our products are sold. And uh, some 2 million of those are being served uh, directly. Wow. And how does this challenging landscape influence your strategy in terms of assortment, um, financial management, and operational schemes, uh, for instance, with respect to other developing countries? Yeah, if you look then uh, at, at how, how the trade is being served, yeah, I, uh, from the numbers that I just quoted, you, you already see that uh, you know, part of the stores are being served directly um, and, and part of the, of the trade is being served indirectly. Indirectly is usually through um, the wholesale channel uh, or the cash and, uh, and carry channel uh, that reach a large number of, of stores where either the shop owners uh, go and buy from multiple um, uh, multiple brands or multiple sellers directly, um, and there is a large part, uh, as I mentioned before, these are the, the larger stores as well that are being served directly, where uh, we have as well as uh, other FMCG companies that operate here in in India uh, at a different scale then, but have distributors in place to serve uh, these stores uh, these stores directly. Now, if you see at where the the majority of of these uh, these stores sit then uh, a large part is in the metro city so in the largest cities in in, in the other about eight cities of uh, more than four million people where you see as well that uh, the majority of outlets not just for Hindustan unilever but uh, also for the rest of the fmcg industry is being covered directly then you have a large number of what i would call the tier one cities so cities that are uh, a million and above people um and there uh, you have over 50 of those cities in, uh, in India where you still have good coverage because of the density of, uh, of population and therefore the efficiency that a distributor can have for uh, serving stores directly. Uh, the tier two cities of uh, between half a million and a million are also about 50, uh, uh, 50 cities in, uh, in India. There you see the coverage already, uh, already dropping. And then you get uh, into the, the rural area uh, where um, yeah, the distribution becomes more, um, yeah, more spread, more difficult to do directly. Uh, although we still have a good number of stores that we're, uh, we're serving directly there uh, as well. Uh, you, you asked about the challenges in the channels. Um, yeah, if I focus it for a moment, 
as you were asking about the um, um, uh, the nano stores uh, uh, specifically, then uh, assortment is definitely key. So you see that the development of that channel in terms of carrying an ever more extensive assortment um, is uh, something that um, has evolved drastically uh, over uh, over the last years. And uh, traditionally, you could see the um, uh, the smaller stores having a very limited assortment with really the uh, only the uh, uh, the highest selling SKU, such to say, in um, a specific category uh, being stored there. But you you see today that that assortment has expanded quite drastically already, and and that is obviously uh, putting as well um, um, specific challenges to uh, the distribution to make sure that. Uh, with a relatively low cash investment that you uh, have in the store for inventory holding, you can still have for that full assortment good service. Therefore, I would say, apart from service, the second point that is extremely important for uh, the trade there is the delivery service. Um, You need that responsiveness. uh, Think of uh, next day delivery um, uh, to be able to manage and that complexity of assortment plus the management of working capital, uh, which is important, obviously, for the store as well. Now, if I then think about that uh, that working capital, um, uh, for these stores in particular, the, the credit facilities that um, uh, a distributor or a partner who sells to the store has available uh, is extremely important because otherwise the, uh, the working capital management or just the cash flows for the store become uh, I- impossible to manage. And if you want to sell um, uh, competitively in um, um, uh, in that channel, then credit facilities are absolutely essential. So that, that access to easy credit, to be able to grow the business further is, uh, is very important. And then lastly, I think um, also on returns, because with that ever more complex assortment, you see as well um, uh, innovations, a lot of innovations coming into uh, the, the Kirana stores. Um, and those innovations are not always successful. Now, if that stays then with the shop owner, uh, it becomes very difficult to uh, actually launch the innovations there in the store because the the appetite for risk uh, to take that for the inventory holding and you know, being stuck at the end with uh, some product that can't be sold, um, uh, that, that's, that's a difficult risk to take, of course, for the store. So, uh, therefore, the ability to uh, do returns to prevent losses for um, uh, these businesses, as well as for uh, you know a company like ours that you can redistribute uh, the product that is good, uh, is extremely important. So that uh, return supply chain, um, uh, having that up and running reliably uh, for returns, uh, that that working capital can be unlocked quickly, um, uh, is an uh, is another very important one. And I think what all of these have in common. Um, and where the efficiency is being very much driven today is in the digitization of each and every one of those pillars. So if I think about digitization of assortment, you should be thinking of what are the type of SKUs, the kind of products that in the area or in the specific city uh, where that store operates. And, and this can go down as, as small as the specific neighborhood where the store operates. Um, the digital tools and the uh, the, the the use of big data, uh, the insights that we can get today about what is the right assortment uh, makes that easier than ever before. If you think about the delivery of service where traditionally uh, you would go from, let's say, a factory into a distribution center to a distributor, from that distributor into the stores, 
where right now you have the possibilities to actually go directly from a, a distribution center or even from a factory directly to a store. It allows you to service the stores a lot quicker, but you can just imagine the amount of data that needs to be managed then at a factory or at the distribution center level and also the management of, um, uh, let's say, simple things as uh, each individual items instead of cases. Um, uh, that That is only possible if um, uh, these operations are digitized as well. I think the same for credit. So if you think about the digitization of credit, it allows you to, to grant credit more reliably and also bring that up to a level where a store can grow even more competitively or more if they have a reliable management of credit. And yeah, for, for returns, the same thing. Um, digitization uh, in uh, the area of returns uh, allows us to do that much more efficiently, effectively than we were ever uh, able to do that before. So the, the common threat for all of these, but I'm saying that now from the point of view of uh, the FMCG industry, <clears throat> is really the digitization of each of these processes. But if you look at the store operations itself, uh, in um, uh, to give you an example, in the uh, urban areas, the um, uh, the mom and pop stores or the Kirana stores uh, uh, typically would be selling over 50% um, of their sales, uh, not directly by people coming into the store anymore, but through a, uh, let's say, digital type of setup where the customers sitting at their homes uh, would order uh, uh, their favorite basket directly and the store would bring that to your home. Uh, directly and that can be done either through whatsapp or through telephone line or through email or the multiple ways or an app specifically that the store has um, multiple ways possible there but it's amazing to see that um, in the urban areas you have over 50 percent of the store sales already being home delivered and uh, where the orders are being taken uh, yeah through any of the means that i just mentioned thank you yes i was actually going to ask you uh, you talk now a lot about digitization and there has been a lot of interest recently because um, both Amazon and Facebook have made significant investment in this setting. Uh, and there's also the presence of Reliance, which is, of course, a strong player that has now partnered uh, with Facebook. We see many uh, interesting things going on in India where you know data access is relatively cheap with respect to other emerging markets. So how do you see those trends? Uh, there's also the, the entrance of mo mobile money more and more. How do you see those trends shaping up the future of the grocery retail landscape in India? Yeah, I think the, the adaptation of um, um, uh, any digital technology in, in India with the examples of what you just gave with, uh, for example, uh, reliance with uh, the work that's being done on um, uh, B2B or you mentioned Amazon as well that has uh, uh, the B2B business there uh, directly. Uh, um, uh, Flipkart has, uh, has this as well. So you see several players uh, coming up in um, uh, in uh, in that space, and that is also because the the market that you have in India is an ever growing or very fast growing market. So there is space for um, uh, new players to come in as well. I think what you what you see there is that there's definitely um, a good part of new players coming up, um, very much in the digital space. But you see on the other hand that the let's say incumbent players or the more traditional players in the market are digitizing their operations very quickly as well. Um, the, the, the reasons for that is, um, yes, uh, absolutely right, that the cost of data uh, in India um, uh, is, uh, is, is, is relatively cheap and that makes it 
uh, even for uh, the businesses that are running with relatively low margins or operations such as uh, uh, distributors or stores uh, or the FMCG industry in itself, uh, which compared to some other industries are running with a different type of margin profile, does make that kind of technology accessible. I think, secondly, the computing power that is available today with the amount of data that you need, if you look at SKU store level, I spoke about more than 8 million stores in, in, in the whole of India, and then you look at the assortment that the stores carry. If you want to translate that into a, a type of data management that needs to be done, you need some really strong computational power. Um, and I think with uh, everything that's coming up in cloud computing, you suddenly see that the type of forecasting models or you know inventory management models at a specific distributor level or store level uh, for large companies or large portfolios become possible for the whole of India, something that uh, you go back uh, a few years ago, technologically that would have been possible to do, but financially uh, it wouldn't have made sense. The cost for the use of that technology has come down so quickly that um, the use of that technology becomes available for uh, these type of applications where it was just not affordable before. Um, I think as well, um, you, um, um, you see that the willingness of these nano stores that you're talking about to make the transition into the digital space, because you might not consider them directly as uh, you know the first partners of choice for digital, but the ability that they have to change their operations uh, through the use of digital tools is actually quite amazing to see. The, the, the willingness to do that, to compete uh, better in the market is, uh, is extremely strong. So we see the ad adaptation of new technology with, for example, digital ordering of um, uh, the goods that stores need, um, uh, if that comes with the right benefits. So if that comes with having access to a full assortment, for example, better service delivery, uh, that access to credit, as I was saying, uh, or better returns. Um, as long as that helps the business, um, helps the, the Kirana store forward, the adaptation of that type of technology at a store level is um, amazingly quick, I, uh, I have to say. Um, and, and, and with that willingness to change, you see that with digital payments as well. You, uh, you must have seen the work that, uh, uh, for example, here with Paytm, with Google Pay uh, in India, how quickly that has, uh, has come up. And you see that the majority of uh, the Kerana stores as well allow you to make these digital payments instead of uh, the traditional cash payments. Um, uh, also, a, a development that has gone uh, extremely fast in, uh, in India. So um, I... I would never have the view that um, the general trade or traditional trade system that is in place in a market like uh, here in India, that there is no willingness or nor speed and adaptation of digital technology. Uh, actually, the willingness to do that, if that becomes available at the right cost and offer all of these benefits is just amazingly fast. All right. So our final question would be, uh... Can you tell us a bit more about your own trajectory and how you got where you are? Um, yes, yes, of course. Um, I, I actually I started uh, with Unilever uh, quite some time back uh, in uh, in the Netherlands as a as a management trainee back in '99. Um, uh, I enjoyed the company uh, very much from uh, uh, what is it the time that I had before that. Um, uh, I, I spent some four days with a few managers of the company in a workshop. Uh, really loved the type of products and the culture that Unilever had, so started to work there. A few years in the Netherlands, uh, out of Vlaardingen, 
where I worked for uh, uh, ice cream, mainly a very enjoyable time. Uh, went to Mexico then, um, originally for a, a few years, but my wife and I went there and we stayed finally for 12 years in Mexico, different roles in, in the supply chain and uh, manufacturing and distribution and customer service uh, and planning. Um, uh, a fantastic time there in uh, in uh, in Mexico. I, I ran the supply chain finally there for uh, Mexico and the Caribbean. Um, really loved the time in in Mexico. And my three daughters were actually born there in Mexico as well. Uh, after that, I had a good time for working for home care, first for Latin America, and then for the division uh, that we have. Uh, Unilever has three divisions: uh, beauty and personal care, home care, and foods and refreshments. Uh, I worked for home care then. Uh, out of uh, out of London, and then the the last uh, two years, I've been based here, uh, out of uh, out of Mumbai in India. Uh, first for the uh, the supply chain for South Asia, um, and as a managing director here for HUL. And uh, lately, I uh, manage the supply chain for uh, Southeast Asia and Australia as well. What are some of the differences that you see between these markets, um, and how do you see those uh, developing in the future? So I'm talking about emerging markets in particular. Yes, yes. Um, so the, the differences between emerging markets, I think if you look at it trade-wise, of course, there are the obvious differences where the, the, the channels are different, different in proportion, different in size. Uh, you see the, um, uh, what is it, the size of stores, for example, even if you look at a general trade. Uh, is different in Mexico than it would be, uh, than it would be here in India. So there, there's the, the obvious differences. Um, but I think, um, particularly for India, the competitiveness that you have uh, in the landscape here of the general trade, of the Kirana stores, is of a very different level than I've seen in many other uh, developing markets where you have these type of, uh, of stores as well. Um, and that comes really with the speed of change that the stores are willing to adopt. Now, we, we spoke a lot here about digital technology, but uh, if you look at uh, you know the type of service delivery that we spoke about, uh, how these stores have adapted to actually giving you that personal connect and uh, the house delivery, the home delivery, for example, uh, the ability that they have to understand better what uh, consumers uh, in their neighborhood are looking for and making sure that they have that in their assortment. So that assortment management, for example, uh, that adaptability uh, is, uh, uh, is, is, is really fantastic to see here. Um, and, and therefore, you see as well that uh, the general trade channel is uh, really a channel that is not um, uh, a channel that won't be here in, in the future. It's a, it's a still ever growing channel. And of course, you have e-com growing faster uh, than um, as, as we see that in many of the markets. Uh, but I do believe that um, uh, the general trade channel, uh, particularly the Kirana stores in India, will be here for uh, the long run uh, because of the speed of adaptability and their willingness to change to uh, an ever-changing and fast-changing market here. All right. Thank you, Willem. It's been really fantastic to hear uh, and, and to learn from your experiences. We really appreciate you taking the time and, and having the flexibility. Great talking with you. Thanks a lot. Very good. So we just had an amazing conversation with Willem Auyen, in which, uh, well, he described uh, the complexity of India, you know, with this fast changing environment. And uh, for instance, in 2016, a ban on the two largest currency notes, 
the, the, the huge uh, shock on cash usage, you know, was, was announced, uh, likely disrupting many billion transactions and pushing forward digital payments, you know. So, Willem, uh, uh, talk about how quickly the reality for retailers is changing, you know. So, Professor, how would you advise, you know, uh, manufacturers, particularly uh, fast-moving consumer good manufacturers to react to this ever-changing environment in terms of, of developing those capabilities uh, of, of that brings flexibility, you know, to the supply chain. Yes, right. It was really fascinating, right? Also, if you heard him talk about the, the, the 8 million stores that Unilever is reaching, of which they serve 2 million directly, and still, eight million is not the full number, right? The full number is like fourteen million or so in in India. Yeah, so like it, twelve, really, I think. It's really fascinating, right? To uh, to to see this, the, the, yes, and 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 also the rate of change in India is probably um, much faster than, than what we see in in other markets. So so in a sense. Uh, the developments in the Indian market can also be an informant of, of what, what may happen in, uh, in other markets, right? Um, I don't know. So, so if, if you think of this, this rapid change, I would say for companies, the main thing is to experiment, to, to actively experiment and try out new things. And... Um, uh, in, in, in research, we call this randomized control trials, right? So implying we, we just select maybe a few hundred stores uh, to try out a particular new um, innovation and then compare them in a scientifically sound manner, manner to a similar group of stores and then, and then see if the desired effect takes place. And this active experimentation, I think this is what sets really the successful suppliers apart from the ones that, that are maybe just followers. What do you think? I think Rafa has also been trying to do some things around RCTs, right? Trying to set things up. Yeah, and usually it's not such a simple process, right? It, it usually takes a lot of convincing uh, on the company side, which is understandable in a sense, but uh, at least from my perspective, it would be awesome if companies were willing to engage more and more in this type of scenarios, which in the end, you know, can be relatively cheap for a company and can give insights that could potentially really transform the business going forward, right? I, I think that's true. But at the same time, you say, well, it takes an effort. I think it sometimes takes an effort, right? But uh, I think it's also impressive if you see some companies actively doing experimentation and really trying out things, right? So, uh, for instance, if you, if you look at what ABMBF did uh, in Latin America during the when the COVID started, and essentially mm -hmm. they just send up set up an omni-channel portal within weeks, just trying it and see how it grows. I think that shows uh, that the entrepreneurial attitude can also exist in these very yep. large companies. Absolutely, I, I think where there is a bit of a potential going forward. Let's call it like that is that yeah. uh, these companies could do this in a more uh, rigorous way, right? And that's where I think academia can play a huge role in facilitating the development of this, uh, let's say, academically sound RCTs that uh, can inform practice and can be also very informative for um, theory building purposes. Yes, for theory building and, and in the end also for 
companies to base better decisions on, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So to ensure that uh, what you find in the pilot or in the experiment also can be extrapolated to your entire uh, to your to your complete set of stores that you are serving. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, Professor, now that we're discussing the academic literature, um, at least from what I've uh, read so far, uh, I see that uh, you know this literature paints uh, a picture of a country that struggles with digitization. I'm talking, of course, about India, uh, for instance, as a result of informality, low education levels, and low wages. Interestingly, uh, this is contrasting with the perspective that Willem had that uh, suggests that the retail environment in general and nanostores in particular are adapting at a very fast pace, uh, including from the digitization uh, standpoint. Um, and he even mentioned that there were no clear barriers to these efforts. So how do you think we can reconcile these two contrasting experiences? And in your opinion, what is uh, driving this rapid digitization in the grocery retail sector in India? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a great question and probably also a great puzzle still a bit, right? Uh, so, so, so we know from from our research that uh, actually shopkeepers are very open to digitize if they do see the clear benefits. And I think this was also something that Willem very much stressed. So he says, well, you know, if it enables them to have, for instance, uh, easier access to credit or ensuring that their shelves uh, are filled when they need them to be filled. So, so there are very clear uh, operational benefits to the stores that they can actually see on a day-to-day -day basis. There is a willingness to, to, to adopt this technology, even though there could be risks associated with it, right? And, and, a, and a risk that, that we have identified in, in our research is is, is a fear of creating too much transparency on the, on the business. Um, it's, I think it's common knowledge that uh, in many countries, these uh, stores may not be uh, fully transparent in their, uh, in their income, right? And, and, and creating transparency may run from their perspective, a, a quote unquote risk uh, of of having to disclose this to the to the tax authorities or to others, uh, but but our research essentially argues and also demonstrates that if the if the benefits are clear, uh, shopkeepers are willing to give up uh, this lack of transparency, and as a consequence, this also implies that societally there are benefits, right? Because in the long run. It's important these stores become part of the of the formal formal economy. So, so why India? I, I think Camilo just you just mentioned this 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 big incident when when the big banknotes were suddenly declared um, uh, void, right? Essentially, a few years ago, and this gave a big spur to digital payments. So this was a shock in a sense. By the way, mm -hmm. very interesting shock I think to investigate from a research perspective, whether it actually was a driver. But, but I do think in the end, digital payments, this is where the movement is happening. So, so once the payments become digital, then I think other uh, elements will also move there. We see this in, in East Africa, where digital payments have been common for quite a while, but still a challenge there are the transaction costs. Uh, we see it now in Argentina with Mercado Pago really be providing solutions to uh, to shopkeepers. 
So, so I think the digital payment is probably where where the where the movement is and in India with with Paytm, with Google Pay, with quite a few other solutions that have grown really fast. I would say if the consumer starts to pay digital, uh, the stores will just follow the, and jump on the bandwagon. Yeah, so it's it's not just like uh, from the the manufacturers or from uh, entrepreneurs that are creating uh, like new ventures, like new companies, uh, trying to leverage uh, nano stores, but also this pressure from consumers that are demanding, you know, those those services and other. Uh, yes, uh, it's, it's it's a pressure from consumers, but it's also so 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 of course it's pressure from consumers because then you have mm -hmm. to offer the service. But I would also say if you can also reverse it in a sense, so. In, in this supply chain, for instance, the handling of the physical cash is, is, a, is a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. This is a challenge to handle the physical cash. Now, suppose I am Unilever, I'm supplying these stores and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I would like to accept uh, digital payment from the stores mm -hmm. to me. For the stores, this may not be very attractive if the consumers to the stores still pay in cash. Because at that point, the stores essentially get the, the cash get piled up there and they somehow need to take care of the conversion of this physical cash to digital cash or, or digital wallets. So, so I, I think the two are really closely connected in, in a sense. So in a sense, consumers switching to digital payments are a key enabler to digitization of other elements in the supply chain uh, as well. Yes, yeah. uh, indeed, Professor. And concerning the the, the landscape, William mentioned uh, during the the interview that uh, India's grocery retail uh, sector is mainly characterized or composed by by wholesaler like uh, players and millions of of nanostores of micro retailers. Um, are should we expect in the in the in the long run? That that the the gap between the the two let's say modern and traditional channel closes, and that the modern channel becomes more like the traditional channel, or that the traditional channel becomes more like the modern channel. Because what we've seen and we have evidence from research is that modern channels uh, are creating new formats, new new small shops discount stores uh uh that 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 operationally looks more similar to the to the traditional channel yeah could be could be so i i think where the challenge is for the modern channel is actually in the resilience and in the enormous adaptability of the traditional channel uh, of these 12 million kirana stores uh in uh, in india and i think willem also stressed this a lot and, and the way in which they, 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 they are able to change their business model. I was, I was amazed by the number that he said that currently about 50% of the nanostores in India, uh, or no, it was 50% of the sales of the nanostores in India to their consumers are generated by home delivery. This is very hard to compete with for any other player, right? Just because of the cost base. And, and we know from analysis that uh, there was done by BCG a few years ago that the cost base 
of the Kirana stores is much lower due to a variety of reasons, real estate, labor costs, etc. If you just look at that, they are cheaper. They have lower operating costs. So it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to, to, to compete there. Where, where I would see the, the winners in terms of the modern channel are the winners, are the companies that actually look at the nano stores as partners and somehow integrate them in their network, like, like Reliance is trying to do in India, like Amazon uh, are doing. So so Amazon, when Amazon entered in India, they were trying to compete with the nano stores. Right now, uh, Amazon's main strategy is actually to see where they can partner with the nano mm-hmm. stores and uh, actually leverage this network. And, and for that, um, I, I think we'll see a variety of, of of business models emerge depending on on density in particular, right? Willem also explained in the like in the in the in the top cities and in tier one cities, very high density of stores. This will lead to a different. Uh, this already is a different business model for them now because they go direct rather than, than using uh, wholesalers or cash and carry, um, but. I think that's also where we will see differentiation in, in compared to the let's say the countryside, where remember in India uh, still uh, urbanization is relatively low, right? It's below fifty percent. So uh, there's still a lot of these stores are in the countryside, and the, the dynamics are really different. Professor, you now touched on uh, how big players like Walmart for instance, through a deal with uh, Flipkart, Amazon through the I Have Space program, Facebook through the partnership with Reliance Retail or Google through Google Pay um, are disrupting the status quo in the grocery retail market in India. How do you um, expect these developments to unfold going forward? And what are some interesting research questions that emerge as a result of this uh, huge intervention that is taking place? So so first of all, it implies there's a huge amount of, of of very cheap capital being invested, right? And and this, uh, looking at this as an academic, right? This is uh, a great way to try out tons of different new ideas without any pressure to, for immediate success, uh, right? So so we will see many new ideas being entered, and almost as many idea new of these ideas also fail, but a few of them uh, would be very successful. And which ones? Yeah, that's where the jury is still out, right? But I, I, I think uh, what 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 our research so far has shown in terms of the success of new initiatives is that initiatives are successful when they really create value um, at, to the supply chain, to the operations in the supply chain, in the sense that they uh, do provide uh, benefits for the operation in the shopkeeper, or they do provide benefits for the consumer shopping there and are really creating value rather than extracting value. I I, I think um, solutions that have uh, tried to to extract value from the supply chain and maybe shift power, they have been less successful because these shopkeepers are are smart, right? Why why would they engage there? Mm -hmm. Where's the research? Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Rafa? You have some ideas? Well, I think there, I mean, just seeing what the impact of all these uh, different initiatives is on the operations of the stores. So, for instance, if you think about Amazon with the I Have Space, essentially what that does, it 
it creates additional revenue sources for the store, uh, which is starting to provide new services for the community. So I can imagine there that it's essentially more cash going in to, for the shopkeepers and a better occupation of their uh, time in a sense that they can then put to use uh, within the local communities. Probably it also allows them to create uh, connections that would you know, draw uh, traffic to their store, right? Um, yes. Whereas in the I, case of- I think of that also relates to, to let's say where, where Camila was alluding to, if you look at the growth of convenience stores in, in many markets, what, what we know, for instance, of OXO and of family OXO in Mexico or Family Mart in in, uh, in in Asia, is the reason that they are successful is primarily because of the services that they offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. And and uh, actually, the goods that they sell are in a sense only only secondary, right? So the services are are critical. And uh, I, I think the Amazon example that you're mentioning, uh, Rafa, this this actually provides. Uh, an opportunity for shopkeepers to to add a service yeah. through which they are then able to also leverage this the sales of the of the of the goods and 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 connect to to their their clients. Um, maybe also I'm not, I'm now thinking of uh, the the comment that Willem made and which still intrigued me of the 50% home delivery. I can see enormous economies of scale at the shop level. If you do the home delivery of the Amazon Amazon uh, deliveries and combine this with with delivering your own uh, goods there, right? Absolutely. And, and whether that um, economies of scale exist, I think there's a very interesting research question. I would love to research this. Any company <laughs> interested in partnering with us and sharing some data, please feel free to reach out. Nice advertising, Jan. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I think it's it's advertising, but also displaying on how we work in our research, in a sense, right? Because we we collaborate with with many uh, CPG companies and startups that actually do share their data that help us to create better insights, and and also given the fact that many of these are returning partners, that we do provide value also to our research partners there. Of course. And uh, now that you say that, it's, it's like uh, if you fail, well, probably will give you some ideas of why you failed. And then you can pivot that idea and go back into the market and try again. Right. Because that's that's how entrepreneurship works. Yes. You know? Yes. And it's, it's good to learn uh, from failure. Right. And, and mm-hmm. uh, that's also what we try to teach in our course. It's not just the success stories. Actually, it's the failures. That, that help us learn because it helps us to better understand what could be successful. Yeah, indeed. Amazing, Professor. So um, thank you very much for, for discussing uh, what we learned uh, from Willem and how uh, the grocery retail landscape is uh, changing, shifting in India at a fast pace. And uh, stay tuned uh, for more episodes here at the Emerging Market Retail Podcast. Have a nice one. Thank you, guys. This podcast is brought to you by Tilburg University.